Hello, and welcome to Reconstructed Faith. We take those who are questioning, deconstructing, or maybe even those who have walked away, and instead of leaving faith, we encourage them to grow in their knowledge and likeness of Christ. This episode is the first official episode of the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Now, I know some of you followed me before, but that was essentially an experiment. It was something I did because I was bored during COVID, and I had some very real questions. And God, as well as others, you know who you are, have encouraged me to do this for real. So here it is. This is the only podcast on the internet that is partially deconstructed, partially higher criticism, and partially reformed theology. Uh, Actually, it's way more than that, but we will get into that later. Um, I thought the best way to start would be to get to know your host, and that is me. So strap in. I'm just going to say this ended up being a pretty in-depth biography, um, because I think it's important. A lot of the theology I have is definitely reinforced by the life I've lived, Um. Real quick, I'm going to put a warning out there. This is explicit, and it is not for the faint of heart. I've had... I've had a life. Um, Now, you'll see me looking over here, and that is because I am scripted. Um, I have to write this out more than just bullet points, um, because this will be a five-hour video. A five-hour podcast if um, I just hit record and start ranting. And um, no one needs that, and I ain't got time for that. So, this is actually, I guess, the third the third go at this. Um, about a year and a half ago, I did an episode similar to this, um, but it wasn't scripted. It was a lot more chaotic. Um, I didn't really have, uh, this whole podcast thing down yet. Um, and then about a month ago, well, I guess two months by the time this is released, I wrote a script for this episode that was a condensed testimony and and it was a quick little bit about what this podcast is. So I sent that out to a few friends and they both told me that I should expand both parts and do two episodes. So, let's start at the beginning, shall we? I grew up in church. A child of Christians, who were children of Christians, who were children of Christians. My dad's family goes back 100 years in the Church of God. So naturally, I grew up in Sunday school, I went to vacation Bible school every summer. I grew up learning memory verses and doing Bible drills. If you don't know what that is, the the Sunday school teacher calls out a book and chapter. Um, um, And if you are the first one to find it, you get candy or some kind of toy, but usually candy. Um, I had all the books of the Bible memorized and, and in order by the third grade. I was the only kid that could do it. Um, When I graduated third grade, the church gave me my own Bible. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I think I was around six or seven, 
you know, it, 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 it may have been a little later than that, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I was reading the Bible for myself already. So I'm going to say I was nine or 10. Um, when like so many who grow up in church, I asked Jesus in my heart. I have to stop there for a second. Here's deconstruction number one. Asking Jesus in your heart isn't in the Bible. The Bible says to repent and believe. To repent is to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. And to believe is to accept something as true, to feel sure of a thing. Okay, so here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Do you regret your sin? Have you ever been heartbroken over your rebellion against God? Do you accept as true that Jesus is the Son of God who lived in perfect obedience to the law of God and never sinned, and in his sinlessness was tortured and crucified as the final sacrifice for sin? And that he was buried and rose again. These, these were real events that happened. He lived, he died, he rose again. There are so many variants within Christian theology as far as the purpose of the crucifixion. Um, Christus Victor and penal substitution, just to name a few. And atonement theory will be a whole different episode. I'm not even going to touch that right now. But I say all of that to say this. How many of us Christians, and I say that in quotes for those listening to the audio, have ever felt remorse for sin and accept the truth of Christ's death and resurrection? This is just one of the many things to unpack in modern Christian culture and get to the heart of what the scriptures teach about the nature of salvation, atonement, justification, all the big Christian words. Repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the English word means good news. And it comes from the Greek evangelion, which means good news or proclamation. What is the good news? Again, just touching on that here. I'm going to do a whole series on the gospel and on various interpretations. But the good news, as I see it, is this. We are all sinners. All of us. By nature and by choice. In fact, the Bible tells us we can't help but sin. We're slaves to it. But the good news, the good news is that Christ came free of both sin nature and though tempted in every way a man can be tempted, if we believe the author of Hebrews, he never sinned. So he was free of sin nature and he never sinned. And then even though he never sinned, he was tortured and murdered, fulfilling sin's penalty, which is death. And then he rose again, 
not only to prove he was God by doing what he said he would do, which was to rise after three days, but to defeat the power of death and sin itself. Now, when we believe this in faith, Romans says we are imputed his righteousness. That is the good news. We can claim Christ's righteousness as our own and be free from the wages of sin. Why is this good news? Well, God's standard for his kingdom is sinless perfection. And no man can meet the standards of the law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans tells us. No man is good. No, not one. So what do we do? Repent of our sins and believe in Christ's righteousness. It is faith in him. It is faith in him that saves. It is this saving faith that is the gospel. Too often, the good news, again in quotes for those listening to audio, is Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And it is devoid of the biblical definition of repent and believe. And then we hear sermons every Sunday full of morals and ways we ought to be, instead of being encouraged that when Christ said, it is finished, it was. And that we can rest in his righteousness, holiness, goodness, love, faithfulness for all of the things we lack. We can look to Christ. That is the gospel. Now back to the story. This is where this is where tragedy begins. This is really where the roots of the double life I began to live started. I didn't know it at the time because I was so innocent. But this is really where it all started. I made friends at school like so many kids do. Um, this is fifth or sixth grade, I think. I, 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 I don't remember exactly. Um, and it's okay to have friends. In fact, it's a good thing. So I don't really know how to talk. I don't really know how to talk about some of this stuff. But I think it's important. Not because I want to say, woe is me, my life is shit. I've been through so much, cry, cry, cry. But because I want you to see what God can do, what he has done, the fact of what I have lived and am now doing this podcast and I'm accomplishing all that I am and that God is using me in the ways that he is. But this is going to be hard stuff to listen to. I'm definitely going to need to mark this episode as explicit so the apple doesn't get mad at me. So I was a very innocent child. Um, I had hit puberty early. I tried to tell my dad about it. And basically, he told me that I was a storyteller. Um, but I, I I knew what was going on. Because in fifth grade, the school had us made us watch some stuff on uh, puberty. Um, but that was as far as my knowledge went. Got kids in the background doing what kids do. So... Um, You know, actually, that isn't true. I was obsessed with reading. I'd been reading since I was six, and I didn't really like—I didn't really like stories. You know, fiction was never my jam. I always borrowed nonfiction books when we had library day at school. 
um, usually astronomy or biology. So I knew from a very young age where babies came from because I read about it. But I was innocent to how it actually works, if you get my meaning. Anyway, one of my friends, one of my friends introduced me to masturbation, which I suppose is normal enough if it, if I think about it, but it didn't stay there. We began after a time to touch each other, even experimenting with oral sex. I literally had no idea uh, it was wrong. Uh, I know that seems strange, but I had never been talked to about any of these things. It seemed normal, and it felt good. This went on for... I'm I'm not sure, really. Um, we aged about we aged out of it somewhat as we got older. So I think probably 11 to 14 is probably maybe even 13. I could have been a little bit younger when we um, kind of aged out of it being a regular thing, at least. Um, so as, um, as we got older, we entered middle school, we hung out less because we made other friends. And then in high school, um, him and his brother went to a different school altogether. And um, I really only saw them when I was invited for parties and such. So this didn't really go must, mu- much past the seventh grade. Um, it was eighth grade when I really started making other friends. And sadly, sadly, I spread this abuse. But before I get there... We've got to hit the really hard stuff, as if that's not bad enough. So, it was my freshman year, when my grandma died. Um, We'd lived with her since I was four. So, grandma had really always been there as long as I can remember. Now, I don't really know if this is related, but it is related in my brain. So, I've always assumed that the following events were somehow due to grief, or the loss of grandma's influence in our lives. I was encouraged by my test readers to leave this part slightly ambiguous as to not harm the other parties involved, which was advice I was going to take. But as I began to re-script this out and think about my life and the events that have transpired and that I later am going to talk about, events that happened while this person was out of the home and in prison in order to lead into other events... So it's just easier to tell it like it is. Before I get started with this, I need everyone to know that I now live with my wife and uh, and my stepchildren. We live with my parents. My mom has several disabilities and can no longer drive. And my dad recently had to have his legs surgically put back together when his um, his quad detached. So to go in and kind of put dad to reconstruct um, reconstruct his leg. Um, so they need a lot of help, and the house needs a lot of work. So we moved in with my family to take care of my parents and their home. Things are okay between my mom and I. They're okay. Um, I, I try to love her the best I can, because I am I am her son. 
And first and foremost, I'm a man of God who feels led to be the leader of his family, including caring for my aging parents. So I just, I need everyone to know up front, I live with this person. We have an okay relationship. And um, I in no way want there to be any kind of repercussion or negative action towards her. So it was August, the end of summer, between my freshman and sophomore years. Um, and I was sexually abused. I was going to say this way differently. But not only do I think it's more relatable to simply state that I was abused, it's probably more accurate than what I was going to say instead. This happened again a few months later. It was after my birthday, the um, the second time, because I remember being 15 the, the second time. And uh, that's when it really kicked in, what was actually happening, because it was a lot more traumatic. Um, after the second encounter, um, I remember running to my room and crying out to God, I understood what sin was. I was. I am. I am a sinner. Capable on, capable on my own of doing nothing but breaking God's law. Romans 6 explains this well. Ephesians and Colossians 2 also. That's Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. Um, they all support this idea of being dead in sin. Mom, out of guilt told someone at church, which honestly, you should be able to do. Should we not confess our sins to one another as the scriptures lay out for us to do? Mom was asked to leave the church. My dad, rightly believing that a family should do church together, began to look for a new church. It was but a few weeks later that we found the Baptist church they would attend for the next 15 the next 15 years. And I met the men who would mentor me through my young adulthood. I began attending the youth group on Sundays, and we were reading through, uh, through Exodus. I don't remember the exact passage, but we were talking about the different tribes, and I was answering a lot of questions about why the tribes are listed differently in different parts of the Bible. You know, Joseph being split into Ephraim and Manasseh, um, and then, you know, there's a list in Revelation that is different than the list in Exodus. And um, I was 15, but I was able to uh, kind of really speak into that. And um, look at this. I'm scripted. I'm scripted and my brain still goes blank. So this this is why I need a script, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> e even with a script, I can't um, I can't stay on task here. So anyway, I, so I was answering questions about why the tribes are listed differently in different parts of scripture, and the youth pastor was impressed, and he got me connected to a friend and a mentor of his for discipleship. 
you know, I still to this day don't know why Tony decided we should go through Revelation. But that's what happened. And we were a few weeks in. I don't know what chapter or even what the topic was. But I went home. I went home after Bible study and... Gosh, how do I say this? There are so many ways we talk about this sort of thing that aren't biblical and are theologically incorrect. And um, part of my deconstruction and the rebuilding, the reformation of my faith has been learning to not use Christianese, but to actually describe things biblically. So with that being said, uh, we were reading Revelation I got home, and I didn't decide to follow Jesus. Sorry for anyone who thinks that's how it works, but it's not. God changed my heart through the truth of his word. I'd heard the Bible my whole life, and had been reading the Bible since I was old enough to read. But for the first time in my life, I knew, for real, that it was the true word of God. Okay? The Word of God changes hearts. And it changed mine that day. And I knew my sin, the stuff with mom, all the anger and lies of, 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 of being a kid. I knew it was wrong, and I was sick and sad that I had not lived the way God wanted me to. And I understood that I deserved to die for my sins, and that I deserved nothing less than hell for breaking God's law. Like... These were things I knew. You know, I grew up knowing these things, in quotes, like I had the knowledge of in my brain, but I understood it that day. I was baptized shortly after that, but sadly, as we'll find out later, accountability was less a part of this. I mean, I was headlong into chat rooms and instant messaging, this was the MySpace days, right? Before Facebook and Messenger and everything was isn't messaging. You know, it was MSN, it was AIM, it was Yahoo. I had all the things. And I was headlong into sexting and pornography. It ate me up inside. And yet I couldn't quit. I hated this almost dual life that I seemed to have. Again, the background of all of this, okay? Mom was gone, she was in jail, and then in prison. So it was just us guys, my dad, me, and my brother. With mom not home, and dad at work, I began to more or less live on the internet when I wasn't at school. So on the one hand, I was on three different worship teams, I was a youth helper in the youth, even responsible to teach a lesson about once a quarter, um, I was headlong, on the other hand, into internet porn. Now, at the time, it was mainly downloading pictures, because we didn't have high-speed internet yet. It was around this time somewhere when... Okay. So my best friend at the time. What my friend had done to me when I was young... I know pass that along to my best friend. You know, abuse. Uh, <laughs> abuse is the gift that keeps on giving, right? 
Anyway. So with that going on, and with the internet porn, both going on behind the scenes, while I was being trained up and raised up as a leader in the church, it really makes me wonder. You know, actually it doesn't. It does not make me wonder at all. I know the statistics, and Satan has the church literally by its balls. Like this. By its balls. But I often think about how many others, either due to shame or due to lack of proper accountability, have porn issues, or are fully sexually immoral, up to and including adultery, get lifted up and elevated into church leadership. How many take this addiction with them to college and then into life? How many of them let them let it eat them alive until it ruins their judgment, it sears their conscience? I have lived that. I've lived it. But, but then because of their position, it becomes a sex scandal. Yeah, I can think of the Carl Lentz, uh, the Hillsong thing. And um, um, I know there's been a lot of allegations of abuse in the SBC recently. So we see this play out. Um, I am sadly not the only one, and I am thankful to the Lord that I was not given a platform um, of which to do more harm. So I was 17, um, going into my senior year. I don't remember exactly this time in my life. Um, it was pretty crazy, um, actually around 17, uh, my friend Nick was living at my dad's house with his daughter, Yuna. And uh, he kept setting me up with different girls. Um, he knew about my faith and how I felt about stuff, but he was trying to get me laid. Um, you know, he thought he was being a good friend. And I don't fault him for that, even to this day. So, you know, because he just, um, he didn't believe that way. Uh, he's being a good friend, right? Um... So there's one girl, Jessie. Different walks of life in every way. Not a Christian, not even spiritual. And she had tried just to buy every kind of drug there is. I became very good friend, uh, very good friends with her at first. Um, you know, she quit drugs. We talked about everything, literally everything. But it eventually happened. And when it did, um, the but it being sex, by the way, if you haven't figured that out, we we eventually did did the thing. And um, when I did, I went to my youth leader and the pastor of my church, and I told them what had happened and offered to step down from everything I was involved in because of my, um, you know, because of biblical qualifications for leadership and, um, you know, being actively in sin and that sort of thing. But, because of my willingness to be punished, and my desire to meet the qualifications of leadership, they saw me as someone with a sober mind, and that this was just a mistake of dating a non-believer and being young and dumb. I was given essentially a slap on the wrist, taken off the worship team for like six months, and told to sit under teaching and continue my discipleship and that in six months, we would revisit the situation. But almost right away, 
almost right away, I was back to leading youth worship and being a youth leader. Um, some time went by, and um, I was texting and calling girls from the youth group being flirty. Um, I was deeper into internet porn because we had high speed, um, so I was able to graduate to full video pornography, unfortunately. So, well, that was going on on the one hand. There was a girl from church that I I truly believe that I was in love with her still to this day. You know, I'm not at first, but it definitely became that. You know, we became we became amazing friends, and um, a lot of my issues through this friendship and just studying the word together and learning from each other and talking and growing, a lot of my issues actually began to subside for a while. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because the whole thing with her wasn't sexual at all. It it was about her and who she was almost entirely. It was very wholesome. And I had never felt anything like that. Just one time, we just sat in the car together. Um, we didn't even say anything. We just sat there. Sat there and we felt. And after a while, one of us was like, whoa. Just to break the silence, right? Anyway, um, I need to move on from here and not get, get into what could have been. Those are feelings I don't need to have. So her dad, her dad was an interesting fellow. He was full of deep theology. He had a Schofield Bible and a MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, he was a big Star Trek fan. Um, and so we, we, we got along really well. Um, at least I thought so. Um, I admired him a lot. But he also had deep hurt from the recent loss of his son and a disdain for the Bride of Christ from church politics he had been involved in. Um... And I was too young and unwise to understand, nor was I aware of any of this until much later. I realize I just said Bride of Christ. So for those that may not understand that term, the church, okay? Uh, not the building, but the universal church comprised of all true believers in the world. The church invisible is Christ's bride. So when I say that someone has a disdain for the Bride of Christ, it means that they hate church. And we see a lot of this these days, actually. Oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, or I hate church, or whatever. Biblically, that's a really bad idea. But I'll do a whole episode on what church is, and why we gather, and why it's a sin if we don't. Anyway, time went on, and it became time to ask him, if I could take his daughter on a date with my dad. So, I mean, I had my dad involved. We were going to be chaperoned. I had the whole thing planned out. Um, you know, I was going to take them both out for my dad's birthday so that she could get to know my dad a little bit and vice versa because uh, I knew her family. And he said no. I was shattered. Um, I, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And the fact of the matter is, I wasn't. I barely had a part-time job. I was wise in my own eyes, as many young leaders are. But I said to myself that if I had been a better Christian, 
he may have said yes, and I would have my trophy. I know that sounds terrible, but as I look back, as a more mature man, I was going to say mature man, but that's not true. As a more mature man, um, I look back, and as terrible as that sounds, that's really what it amounts to. I felt like I had given myself to God, and I was serving in church, leading hurting young delinquents with broken homes, oblivious for some reason to the fact that after what I had been through and my mom being in prison, that I too was from a broken home. I felt that the perfect homeschool Christian girl that no one could have should be my prize. Because I was the best choice. I was the smartest, the most talented, and not as lame as all the homeschooled boys. In my mind, we were perfect. And my world shattered. I must not have been a good enough Christian. How could he say no? There were no better options. So, I decided I would find something to do with my life that I was better at. Um, I didn't know what that was. All I thought I was sure of at the time is that I wasn't good enough. It was a month or so after, I think. Yeah, the thing. Um, I'm trying really hard not to use names. It happened in October, because my dad's birthday is the 11th. And it was the end of October or November when an old friend of mine from school called me, which wasn't super unusual. Um, I had kind of become her clutch when no one else could help. It was time to give good old Matt a call. Um, we kept in touch and stuff, and we liked each other in school at different times. It's one of those things that never really lined up for us. And I had someone, and she had someone, and it was just how it was. Um, she was Christian in school, at least in the I believe in God and go to church way. Um, so it, it it would have made a lot of sense for us, but it, it, it never happened. Anyway, she called me one night because she needed a ride uh, home from school. She was going to college here in town, and I thought we would get dinner and catch up. So we talked on the phone a lot, but I hadn't actually seen her in a long time. So we went out. We had dinner and coffee, and it was after dark um, by the time I was driving her home. I don't remember exactly what happened, who said what, or who started it, but we pulled off onto a logging road, and we hooked up. I got her home, and she invited me inside for round two, um, but I had the sense I had the sense to decline. I told her that we shouldn't have, um, and that I couldn't do it again. For the next few months, she was trying pretty hard to date me, even so much as saying that she would go back to church again, but she wanted us to keep having sex. And I just couldn't do it. Being a Christian was more important to me. So before I get ahead of myself, I knew what I had done. I told my youth leader, mentor, and the pastor what I had done, and I stepped down from everything I had been doing voluntarily, because despite what I had just done, holiness matters to me. It matters now, and it mattered then. And I was not qualified to be a leader if I was going to live that way. Here's the thing. All Christians live in constant tension 
Paul writes about this tension in Romans 7. Um, Verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I made and make many bad choices, and I'm sure that you do too. And often in the guilt and the shame, we wonder sometimes if we're even saved at all. Am I a Christian? We ask ourselves. For me, what I always come back to is the fact that I hate my sin. The fact that I can question my salvation and that I care about it proves my salvation. Grace is sufficient, my friends. Everything you have ever done and ever will do was paid for on the cross. Christ lived in perfect obedience to the Father, and by faith we are imputed that righteousness. I mentioned this earlier. But what does it mean to impute? What does imputed even mean? That's one of those Christian words. As a verb, to impute is to represent something being done, caused or possessed by someone. Not helpful. Theologically, what it means is this. To ascribe righteousness, guilt, or judgment to someone by virtue of a similar quality in another. So, because Christ is righteous, we are essentially righteous by association when we place our faith in his obedience on our behalf. He is holy for us. He is righteous in our stead. He is faithful in place of our faithlessness. All that he does on our behalf, we claim as our own before the Lord. That, my friends, is salvation. And more important, that is assurance. What Christ has done is not only complete, but it cannot be undone. Water break. Okay. Just to emphasize that again, what Christ has done is not only complete, but it cannot be undone. So we're going to start we're going to start moving faster here and start seeing some of the side effects, for lack of a better term, of what I had been through. Um, as I entered marriage, still in bondage to porn, um, you know, there there are parts of my brain that that were and are still completely broken. I do not have filters in regards to sexuality. We'll get there soon. Anyway, so I, I kept attending that church. Um, and I was still involved in the study groups I was involved in. I still went to the outreach group as a helper, but no longer led worship or did any kind of teaching. I was not responsible for any of the ministerial duties. Um, I began talking to and eventually dating the woman that would become my first wife and the mother of my children um, on MySpace. And I joined my first band around that same time, except these chains. We were, we were interesting. 
<laughs> um, we went for the female-fronted thing, not only because it was popular at the time, but my friend Simon, his wife at the time, wanted to be in a band, so it just worked. I wanted to be Nightwish, and she wanted to be Evanescence. Very different ideas. Uh, anyway, this isn't about my music, so let's make a really long story short. Morgan, my now ex-wife, has a pretty bad relationship with her family. Many times she lives with or near her family, she, for lack of a better way of saying it, she becomes their bitch. I say that to say this. She was living in Montesano when we started talking. Um, she got hurt at work and didn't have any money for rent. I didn't want her to move in with her family. So, for the aforementioned reasons... And due to many other reasons, and ultimately because we couldn't stop having sex, and because I wasn't going to send her off to her family where she was going to be abused, I married her and she moved in with me um, at my dad's. Now, here's where things get even worse. Remember before when I was talking about my buddy Nick who lived with me and my dad? Um, the one who was always trying to get me laid? Well, there was this girl we hung out with. And he was trying to date her, actually. Um, she, they ended up having the kid together, her daughter that lived with us, or his daughter that lived with us. In the beginning, she liked me. And I was definitely infatuated. But this was when I was carrying a Bible around school and was, for lack of a better term, super religious. Um, so ultimately, she wanted certain things that I just wasn't willing to give her at that point in time. So just before I married Morgan... I emailed and texted her to see if she wanted to hook up before I was married. It, thankfully, thank God, never happened. Uh, then after we found out we were pregnant with our first, I tried to get a hold of her again. I figured having kids would take away any freedom I had left, and again, nothing came of it. Because God is good. And he was protecting me from myself and continued to do so for many years, as you'll find out. Um, I want to make one thing very clear. I'm very messed up sexually. There's just some part of my brain that is broken or, horm or hormonally imbalanced or something. And it is only by the grace of God and his providence that he has protected me from myself. My life could be much, much, much worse than it is if everything I had imagined to do, I had done. God is good. Especially, especially when we are not. As time went on, my behavior continued. We had a neighbor that I was super flirty with, and things escalated to sexting and explicit texting um, pretty quickly. And it was at this time, for this reason, that I quit my band, Morning Light. Um, except these chains had um, got some member changes and kind of a change in sound a little bit. So we changed our name to Morning Light. So technically the same band, second band, um, however you want to look at that. But um, anyway, I... I quit the band. You know, I considered the band a ministry. Um, 
even though we were kind of moving away a little bit from the Christian direction, because um, our bass player at the time wasn't a believer, and we were trying to do the kill switch thing, the whole like positive, encouraging, but not overtly Christian thing. So um, the lyrics had gotten into kind of metaphors and allegories. So there was that. But also, I knew that the life I was living, I couldn't be in a Christian band anymore. So I left. I don't remember exactly what happened. But Morgan and the kids were gone. I think there was some kind of medical something with Justin. Um, He had a lot of uh, he had GERD and um, quite a lot of other stuff when he was younger. So he was actually in and out of the uh, the hospital quite a bit. Um, anyway, so Morgan and the kids were gone. Um, I stayed home because I worked that night. Because I was working graveyard at the time. Um, and as soon as she left, my neighbor sent me nudes and she invited me over. And God protected me yet again. This is like the most obvious overt time in my life where I can look back and point to God's provision. The other stuff, okay, maybe a coincidence. Maybe that girl just wasn't interested and God had nothing to do with it. But this, this was God, okay? My neighbor, my neighbor sent me nudes and she invited me over. Give me a second. Now, this isn't this this isn't the easiest stuff to talk about. And you know, I I could edit this out, but I just I'm about being raw. It's who I am. It's what I do, and I really think it's the best way to communicate truth. So I'm leaving this in there. Anyway. So she sent uh, she sent me nudes and she invited me over, and when I opened when I opened the messages, her face her face was all distorted, and she straight up looked evil. She looked like some kind of demon. Um, not only was it not attractive, but I knew I didn't want anything to do with it anymore or with her any longer. God was showing me how evil it all was. God protecting me yet again. I'm sure that I'm sure that if someone else had looked at those photos, she would have just looked normal. But God showed me. He showed me the evil demonic nature of what we were into. Um Thankfully, she moved not long after that. Um, while all of that was going on with my neighbor, um, Michelle had come around again because she was in a really bad marriage and really needed the help of someone she could trust. And instead, instead I tried to sleep with her. 
we don't talk anymore. I wish I could say it was because of that. Um, but what happened is very personal to her, and I will not share someone else's story. Um, unfortunately, for everyone involved, this pattern continued for years with me hitting up personals and joining hookup sites and talking up people via Facebook and Instagram. I never cheated physically, even when the opportunities arose, even when women wanted to take it to that next step and meet up and be physical. I never did. I, I couldn't cheat physically, but I was always talking and flirting with others, and I couldn't stop. Every time it happened, I hated myself more for the things that I was doing. Remember how I quoted Romans 7 earlier? I have lived it. Every time something would happen, I would try to get back to my Bible or try to convince Morgan that we should start going to church again, but it kept happening over and over and over. I felt like I was a slave to it. So we moved away, out of town. We hoped that maybe getting away from our past and getting away from people I knew would help. And it did for a while. And uh, while we were away, we got pregnant again with a, with a girl. This would have, would have been child number three. But Rachel was sadly stillborn at 27 weeks. Um, I always wear this necklace. Um, it's a black cross necklace for those just listening to the audio. This is actually a tiny little urn. And it has part of her ashes in it. Um, I've got it super glued. So it doesn't come apart. So I can't show you. I mean, most, most, most of the time I'm fine. But every now and then, every now and then it does get to me that I could have had a daughter. Um, you know, and through that, I, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people would blame God. They get angry. Um, lots of people have lost kids and lose their faith, and I didn't. Um, you know, I called my pastor friend in to come and um, pray with us and just, um, you know, speak, um, speak into our lives, um, some hope and some assurance, and um, that's the thing. Despite. Despite all the abuse um, received and caused, um, uh, um, and all of the sin in my life, um, even in the worst times in my life, God's word has been true for me. It has been, it's been the one consistent thing my whole life. Um, so, um, uh, my buddy came in, he prayed with us, he, um, he spoke some words to us, and, um, I, I, um, never really kind of, I, I, I never blamed God for it, you know, I've always kind of just 
trusted that God's going to do what he's going to do. And uh, whatever that may be is for our benefit. Do I understand the benefit? No. Um, you know, I have some ideas, um, but I won't go into that here because I'm already like 50 minutes into this thing. So, um, we moved. You know, she she couldn't live there anymore and think about losing Rachel. And um, for a while, things were good again. I was living in Olympia, finally. Um, I felt like I was moving up in the world. We were going to church together for the first time in a long time. The kids were in church. We started going to Evergreen together as a family. And I really thought that things were going to get better. Um, I think we were trying our hardest to be together and to get God back into our relationship after everything that had just happened. Well, Morgan let a friend move in because she was claiming spousal abuse. It all ended up being lies, but that's a different story for an entirely different day that I am never going to get to because it's not my story. Uh, anyway, let's just say this person was posting personals and sleeping around while she was living in our house. Now, we didn't find any of this out until later, but it it made a lot of sense when we did. Um, she was always very scantily clad. She made no effort to hide herself from me. Now, I'm not for a second putting blame on her. How a man deals with his lust is his responsibility, and blaming the woman doesn't do anyone any good. Okay? I'm owning the fact that I sent her inappropriate photos. They were not solicited. In fact, in fact, she immediately told um, my wife. Now, I, I didn't go to work that night because I stayed home to try and deal with the mess I'd put myself in. And I got fired. So now... Now my sin was starting to eat away at the rest of my life. See, that's the thing. We think we can keep it separate. We think that we can kind of uh, compartmentalize everything. You know, we have a box for this and a box for this and a box for this. And everything stays neat and tidy. But the fact of the matter is, is that sin is messy. And now... Now it was eating away at the rest of my life. I had just lost my job because of what I had done. But then I got a better job with benefits and more income, and ultimately we moved again. Because that house, again, reminded her of what happened. So new place, same lives. We were okay for a while until we settled in. Um, then I began to chat up an old co-worker and an old boss. And we moved again. But this time, because because of my better job, we did it on our own, with no assistance. We were off welfare. We were no longer in subsidized housing. We didn't even get food stamps anymore. This was the dream. We were finally doing okay. Living in a two-story townhouse. Hell, we had two bathrooms, and I had an extra toilet downstairs.
I know that's a really silly thing to be excited about when you grew up the way that I grew up. Like, not only is it cool to have more than one bathroom, but to have a third toilet? Sick. Okay? So, things were going really good. Things were good. But I wasn't. I was still broken. I was still doing more of the same. I sent pics to my recently fired boss because we'd always been flirty at work. I need to make something perfectly clear. So, so all the years while this was going on, I had always been honest with Morgan up to this point. Um, up to this point, I had either told her myself about all the things I'd been doing each time, um, or if she discovered it, I never made excuses. Um, I've always been honest about everything. Um, and, and honestly, it was this honesty and, and my honest hate for what I was doing that kept us together for all of those years. Um, Morgan discovered what I'd been up to with my boss. She confronted me. And, uh, you know, she, she wondered if I was even going to tell her this time. This is when I told her that I didn't know how to stop. I didn't think I was ever going to stop hurting her and that she should get out. Like two days after that, she was gone. She drained my bank account to pay for moving and I lost, I lost that house and I was essentially homeless. I had hit what I thought was rock bottom. Because of my sin, um, because of this addiction, I was $11,000 in debt. My kids, my wife, and everything that motivated me in life was gone. So, my routine became to go out for dinner every night, get an appetizer sampler. Um, you know the kind that's designed for like at least two people because it's got like 15, 20 different things on it. Um, you know, two wings, five mozzarella sticks, little tacos, you know, all that. So I'd get that. I, I, I did a full entree, right? So a full meal and then like two pitchers of beer. Or I'd go out to the bar with my cousin. I'd eat like five cheeseburgers. I'd have five drinks. Um, because so my cousin is huge. He's like six four, six five, something like that. Big dude, like four pounds. Um, and every time he would buy a drink, he'd buy me a drink. This was five, six, seven, eight drinks deep, five cheeseburgers, and uh, so while this spiral of self destruction was going on, I of course. I was on Craigslist, I was on Tinder, you name it. Trying to find someone to talk to. It was never about sex. Even when we were photo swapping and we were talking about sex and whatnot, it was about the attention. I wanted to be wanted. And um, it, it wasn't long 
actually, before I began talking to the woman that is now my wife. We were both in a lot of pain at the time, from failed relationships and just from, you know, crappy lives in general. But it wasn't long before we began having sex. Okay, so this is where God does the turnaround. Are you ready? One night, I was driving around after work playing Pokemon Go, okay? Of all the silly things, this is when it was brand new, okay? Anyway, I was driving around looking for Pokestops, and I was like, oh, hey, look, there's one over here at the high school. And uh, then I noticed that my old church had one in the parking lot. So I pulled into the lot to nab the Pokestop, and before I knew it, I pulled into a parking stall, and I started praying. Um, I wasn't even sure how I got in there, but there I was. It was in a parking stall, and I was praying. God said, We have come full circle. Welcome home. Now, this is the church I grew up in, mind you. Okay, this is the church that kicked us out. I had no desire to be at that church. But I was scheduled off that Sunday. I didn't work. And I went to church. And I felt like I was home. It felt right. You know, so um, shortly after getting back into church, I began looking for someone to talk to that was a believer. Um, And I slowly began talking to a girl from Olympia. We talked daily. We talked about what we were reading and what we were learning in church. But at the same time, I continued to have these intimate encounters with Trisha. Um, So eventually I talked to Trisha about not talking anymore. Um, I told her that I didn't know how we could move to being just friends after we've been fooling around. And that it was important to me to use this time to find my faith again. As God reached out to me and called his prodigal home. To be clear, to be clear, I always had faith. Even the years with my first wife, when we were not actively going to church, and I was working Sundays, and I was in sin, I always tried to get into routines of reading and prayer at home. I always considered myself Christian. I was always trying to get the wife into reading with me. So let's backtrack. Way back. Okay? When I was saved in high school, um, I was the kid that carried his Bible around and read the Bible for silent reading. Um, I thought I was too good for Christian club because none of them seemed to be on fire the way that I was. You know, I was always preaching out against students that went to youth groups and stuff, but then slept with their girlfriend. Kids that talked the talk, but didn't walk the walk, you know? And here I was, 15 years later, exactly what I cried out against. I couldn't, I couldn't be a hypocrite anymore. Thus enters probably the most confused part of my life. So 
how I was active in church again, finding and rekindling my faith. I was actively dating one girl, the girl from Olympia, while sleeping with another. I knew I couldn't keep that up. Soon after that, my wife, so divorce isn't final yet. I'm still married to Morgan at this point. She called me to tell me that our divorce was final. It was Valentine's Day or somewhere close to that. It was right around there. I hung up the phone and I felt my heart break. Literally, I felt like it like was ripped into. I felt like my insides were pouring out of me. I cried until I couldn't. I screamed until I had no voice. I cried out to God for help. I admitted my life was a mess, that I had never really lived according to his ways, that I'd believed in my mind and tried as hard as I could, but that he never really had my heart. I was ready to be devoted to Christ. So here's the thing. I'm the... Here's the thing. Statistically, statistically, there are many regular church attendees. Tithing members of local bodies, okay, who have never truly believed the gospel. They are as I was. Someone who understood the gospel, they gave mental assent. They knew it to be the truth of God, but they never let their heart be broken by the gospel. We all sin every single day. Now you may say, well, I know I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. That's the gospel, right? Okay. How about have you actually experienced that? Do you know what it is like to truly understand your sin? Okay, I am depraved. Every second of every day is filled with some kind of wrong motive or sinful thought. Even if it's subconscious, it's there. Even if you don't act on it, God knows what's in here, and he knows what's here. If you haven't been heartbroken by your sin and become painfully aware of what you deserve, then you don't truly understand your need for a savior. I understood, finally, what it was to be totally depraved, to be a sinner by nature and not by choice, like Romans 5 tells us. I had lived all these years a slave to it, unable to keep myself from my bad choices, and finally, finally I surrendered. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. God opened my eyes to my nature, and he regenerated my heart so that I could surrender his will. I did not choose God. Okay? This is not easy believism. In fact, it's the opposite. I truly believe that the way is narrow, that there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, I never knew you. But me, I want to take as many with me as I can.
Do you, do you understand your sin? Do you understand the grace God gives you every single day by allowing you to even live? Okay? The wages of sin is death, and yet you're alive. Do you believe that you deserve to die? If you don't, Christ's death is a meaningless. Okay? I understood that night what I deserved and that Jesus fully paid the price. I am forgiven. I was filled with peace. All of the pain and the hurt I had felt just, just moments prior were replaced with calm and peace. God immediately began to change my life, to put things in order. Interestingly enough, you know, this is the difference between God's ways and ours. So, this is backwards from what you would expect, right? But as God began to put things in order, I went on no more dates with the Christian girl from Olympia. We continued to talk a little bit, less and less, until it fizzled out to nothing. I don't even think we're friends on Facebook anymore. Um, but that spring, that spring I took Trisha out on a date. Um, our first date, actually. Um, I told her. Okay. So I took Trisha out on our first date, right? And I told her I was a man of God. And that I date to find a wife, not for fun. Okay, we talked about our kids, we discussed a life devoted to Christ, and that I was looking for someone to share my walk, and to be a mom to my kids. And it was a few weeks after that that the Lord opened her heart, and she was saved. We were Facebook officials shortly after that. We've been married two and a half years at the time I'm writing this, so... Um, we're in about April 2017 in the story. Um, we started going to church together, we, which eventually led to me joining the worship team. That Christmas Eve service was my first time on our worship team. By the next summer, I was beginning to fill in on electric, and then by the fall, I was playing electric full-time. This is really where things began to take shape for me. God was leading me. He was driving me to learn and to reform. And this was the beginning of the next step. Events transpired, leading to a substantial amount of deconstruction, and then really, really the beginning of my reformation through the study of the church historic. So, how? Well, I had been in metal bands, right? And I was still writing uh, metal songs um, at home, you know, on the side, recording demos and things like that, as I felt inspired. Um, I'd always played my guitar straight into an amp, turned up, sometimes with a boost. Um, you know, I knew nothing about guitar effects or how to play anything other than power chords, chugging, and shred, right? Metalhead through and through. So this was a whole new world for me musically. Um, I began listening to the big names, Hillsong, Bethel, Elevation, Passion, Vertical, because our church was playing songs by those groups. 
I joined several worship guitar-focused groups on Facebook and a few worship leader groups as well, in the hopes to learn how to use reverb and stuff. But I was also hoping that it would be a place to connect and discuss some of the theology I was encountering in our worship music that I was struggling with. And what I discovered instead was worship culture. I quickly learned that what I considered serious business, many just considered church an opportunity to play music. What I found was a complete lack of biblical knowledge. Or, those that did know the scriptures essentially had ways to explain them away. I was really struggling with songs that seem to attribute things to God that the scriptures don't. Songs that talk about God being ways he isn't. And lots of songs about holy fire and inviting God to come to church. Even though God is omnipresent and is literally everywhere. Not to mention the fact that we ourselves are God's temple. And if you are a born-again, spirit-filled believer, God is already there. And he doesn't need us to give him permission to come somewhere where he already is. So I was finding a complete misunderstanding of even basic theological knowledge on who God is. What I discovered is that everyone who had good music had shallow Sunday school faith. And everyone who had boring music had deep biblical knowledge. And I didn't understand why you couldn't have both. What I found is churches full of worship leaders and worship teams that don't even care what the Bible says. Or if they do, they just follow the words of Jesus and basically try and act like Paul and the rest of it isn't real Bible. It's just their opinion and stuff, right? And we don't need to follow it. I couldn't understand why people that didn't know the Bible were in positions of leadership. Now, at the time, I didn't know a lot of theology either, or where I stood on a lot of stuff, but I knew there was more than what had been presented to me in my life, and more than what I was encountering in these groups. So I began studying. I knew fervently that whatever that is, it's not the truth. I began to learn about the Apostolic Reformation, the NAR, Charismania and Seven Mountain Mandates. At the same time, I began listening to the Bible Project and really learning about Near Eastern lenses and allegorical interpretations. It led me to Michael Heiser and the Naked Bible Podcast, his books, The Unseen Realm and Reversing Herman, and then later through a recommend Peter Enns and the Bible for Normal People. So, through this higher criticism and this kind of Near Eastern lens, I began in some ways to deconstruct, asking questions like, what is hell really? What is sin? What is the Bible? Is it true the way I used to think it is? Or does it mean something else? And just around that time, I started studying church history, and I discovered the Reformed movement. So many different views and interpretations. There's so many different views and interpretations 
okay? There are so many different views and interpretations. So, this is where many people begin to question everything, because we can't even agree on stuff, and they lose their faith altogether. They deconstruct, and they head either into the progressive Christianity camp, or some kind of open or progressive theism. So if you don't know what either of those things mean, neither did I three years ago. So, right? But I'm going to explain those at some point if you follow the podcast. Right? So I began to work with this guy at Verizon. Who was asking me a lot of these same questions, right? from the agnostic skeptic position. So, um, I was a believer who had faith, but I was questioning all these things. I was looking to understand them better, um, you know, in order, in, in order to understand what I believe and why. And he didn't believe. So he was questioning these things because he was, um, skeptical. So he grew up in church like so many do, and then he lived life, right? He went to college, he got a job, what have you, and experienced the harshness of reality. And he couldn't work it into his beliefs. So then he found podcasters, bloggers, YouTubers, and uh, you know, with their influence, he started going through this deconstruction and eventually walked away from his faith altogether. So, I'm going to touch on briefly why this happens. The next episode's going to be all about this. Basically, in a nutshell, so many Christians today don't know what they believe or why. We're just Christian by culture and by nature these days because it's everywhere. And so many never actually hear the real gospel or get born again. And this, this hurts my heart getting to know Skyler and Austin before him. Um, you know, kids who grew up in church were even leaders in church. And then just as they encountered life and the two things uh, didn't seem compatible, they walked away. It hurts my heart. So I began to dig deeper and more systematically read and study um, I am, I am, if you're interested, at the time I'm writing this, a partially reformed, quasi-deconstructed Calvangelical. <laughs> um, if you don't know what any of that is, I'm going to go over what deconstruction is, and what it has come to mean in recent years, and why I think so many do deconstruction wrong, and they leave the faith altogether rather than reconstructing. We're also going to define higher criticism and really go over what reformed is historically versus what it has come to mean in the modern vernacular. What is Calvinism? What is a Calvangelical? I am going to define all these terms and really break down what reconstructed faith is and the purpose and mission of this podcast. So, in closing... I am a broken mess of a man 
who has struggled extensively and honestly at times, especially these last few years with COVID and being home more and all of that, still struggles with pornography. Even while happily married to a believing wife who loves God and loves the truth just as much as I do. I have so many years of formed habits that there are times of great anxiety or depression where I think of turning back to dating apps or the personals. It's such a rush. Finding someone new to talk to, being vulnerable with someone, it's something I'm very much still addicted to. But the Lord has given me an amazing wife far better than I deserve, who knows everything I have been through and knows how much I love her. And when these kinds of thoughts invade, we have the openness to be able to talk about all of my what-ifs, and we're slowly forming healthy habits. I've been through leadership and discipleship training over the last year, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what God can do with this podcast. So, before you think that God can't use you or that you can't learn theology or better doctrine, just keep in mind everything I have been through and what God can do even for someone like me. Don't you, for a second, believe the lie that you have sinned too much that you have gotten too far from God for him to save you. No such place exists this side of hell. It was very important for me, for you to know what I have been through. No one gets it right. And God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So whether you are a seasoned believer looking to maybe dig deeper and ask some of the hard questions. Or you are a new believer who really needs to know what to believe and why. Or maybe you aren't a believer at all. That's fine, too. We will tackle all kinds of topics, like biblical authority, all the way to why believe anything at all. So I hope, whoever you are, wherever you are, no matter what you've been through, But this has been a blessing to you, and you will tune in next time. And together, together, we can build a reconstructed faith. Bye now.